Michigan HockeyCast 6.11, where we will spend more time talking about geology than ever before. It's been six weeks-ish since we last had a hockey cast, and there is one major event that has taken place that we must talk about. I know you're probably thinking it's a Rose Bowl or maybe the game in Houston or maybe the game in Detroit, but all of those fail to compare to the gold medal winning U.S. World Junior Team that you and I watched every single minute of because we had literally nothing else going on during that time period. Is that a correct statement? <laughs> well, also, it was in uh, Gothenburg, Sweden this year, so they were on at peculiar times. Wasn't it in two different places? Uh, I thought it was like Denmark and Sweden. No, I don't think so. It was really? Okay. I, I thought there were two different arenas. There are two arenas. You have to have two arenas to okay. host the tournament. Right. But, but it was in. it was just in one... Let, me, let City. me take a look. In Sweden? Uh, did you yeah. see where they're giving out uh, the 2026 World Juniors, by the way? Oh, really? They, Plymouth. Uh, I wish, but <laughs> uh, the Twin Cities got the 2026. Oh, next, still... next year is Ottawa, and then the year after that. That's like twice as far as Buffalo. Well, they always gave it been. to Buffalo, so it was right. time for someone else to get it. But... Yeah, but that's even further away. How is that to benefit? <laughs> yes, but you're, you're right. We have the Memorial it... Cup this year in Saginaw, so at least there's that. Are you going to go? I think so, yeah. Yeah. We have a good friend who used to do this podcast that is obsessed with the Memorial Cup, but I wonder if he's listening. I hope he's listening. Anyway. Uh, yeah, both stadiums were in Gothenburg. Okay. The Scandinavium and the Frölundaborg. <laughs> we always learn new words here on the hockey cast. Yeah, you made a good point about the timing, because basically if you had the first two games... Like, I wasn't watching those. One wasn't one at, like, five and then eight or something. It was, like, really, really early. And it was it was even, well, it was a little better than, what, the Women's World Cup last summer, which was, like, three and five a.m. or something. But so, but the U.S. got, I think, three to four of their, what did they play, seven games. I mean, I think six of them maybe I could watch. But they were at... Like eleven, right? Or, or or there were there was some at like two in the afternoon, and then like one at two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you you if you got the two or the eleven, it was kind of all right. And I think they tried to give the U.S. and Canada as yeah. many of those as you could possibly. So, um, did you did you watch many of the games? Or? I watched some of them. Um, I mean, the tough thing about the World Juniors is that like half the games, at least in the group stage, are like the Stonehill game. <laughs> like I don't care at all. They're not relevant. Like oh, well, we beat Norway spoiler, ten to, ten to one. Spoiler: Alex is. <laughs> Super invested in the first segment of this podcast. So I mean, they beat Switzerland eleven to three. Right. I don't care about there that. There was yeah. So you get through the group stage, and then it gets more fun in the knockout stage. I was going to say I watched a Czech Republic game where they played. I think they went to a shootout. And yeah, won. the Czechs had a solid team in this tournament. But the uh, a couple of the other games, the earlier games, were just absolute monstrosities. And then, do you know who started for the Czechs in that game against the U.S.? Clearly, Michael Verball. The UMass guy. Oh, so we, yes. Yeah. The guy they finally went to yeah. after their, they pulled their first sieve, who yep. Michigan was just scoring layups on. Yeah. Um. So the big thing in this tournament is always like, it, it kind of killed Michigan's GLI enjoyment because like 
they'd send players there. And I mean, the funny part is, like, you know, they always used to send players there, and they still would have enough players to win the GLI for many years. But for whatever reason, we've decided that that is no longer possible. And sending all of Michigan's best players there when they're freshmen and sophomores and not putting them on Michigan's hockey team sort of killed the end of year, beginning of year series that Michigan would have. So they haven't had one in a couple of years, which has been also good for us in other ways. But they sent four players to the World Juniors, and I think all four of them played really well. And two of them basically played out of their minds, and a third was the captain and recovered from his what appeared to be a very devastating injury not too long before the first half of the first of the first half of the season concluded. Yeah, it was uh, really the Team USA were kind of carried by the uh, Wolverine State fellows, uh, Michigan and Michigan State players, yeah. because you had uh, Isaac Howard. Had Isaac a great Howard tournament. was on a line with Gavin Brindley. And uh, Frank Nazar, Brindley scored six goals in 10 points in seven games. Uh, Howard had seven goals and nine points uh, in seven games. And Nazar, like, had very few goals, but a bazillion assists. He had, like, a game where he had four assists. Yeah, because probably... he was assisting on those guys' yeah, goals. Yeah. So that line was really, really good for Team USA. Uh, Trey Augustine, Michigan State's goalie, was really, really good for Team USA. He uh, uh, had a 936 um that's okay yeah in that and <laughs> he was huge for them in that uh semifinal game against finland where usa really came out real bad in that first period they gave up yeah. two early goals and he made a couple more huge huge saves where they could have just gotten blown out of the water right off the bat and he kept him in it and then uh, the forwards took over and they were able to win that game three to two with a late goal from uh cutter gotier who was the other really best player for team usa from boston college um the subject of a recently controversial NHL trade, but <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so yeah, it was a really nice performance for the Team USA guys. And um, well, the biggest thing was that McGrory played in it. Yeah, he was the captain, and he scored the empty netter in the gold medal game. And down the stretch of the first half of the season, I mean, I think that it we had heard that it was definitely on the table that he could return this year, but you didn't really know when, especially after like the Nazar injury last year where you kept hearing, oh, he's going to be out a while. Oh, he's going to be out a while. Oh, he's doing stairs now. And it's like January. You're like, doing stairs? Like, has he put on a <laughs> pair of skates? What does this mean? So, like, you just saw that injury and you're like, I, I, I mean, hopefully we see him again in a Michigan uniform. And apparently we saw him in a U.S. uniform. I, I, he didn't score the way that everyone else did, but he skated a lot of minutes like I was keeping an eye on sort of his ice time and he was skating like 14 to 17 minutes and usually on those teams that you have two or three lines that can play you know you're going to get you're not going to get like 27 minutes right as a forward so um him playing a lot and then Casey had a few assists and I mean James Casey's James Casey right like he's just yeah I mean, it was a good experience and it was good for those guys to win this event um, well, the one guy was fired up afterwards where he was like, we got revenge for the U18s. And so I was like, well, that's cool. You know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of the same guys, yeah, they, they right. graduate upwards and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, I thought going into this tournament, Team USA was one of the two favorites with Sweden and they ended up meeting in the gold medal game. It's not easy to go into a tournament like that where you have so little margin for error as the favorites to actually get it done. And they did. So, and it's interesting because, um, like the game was six to two, but it wasn't really six. I mean, it was a tight game in the third and the U S took the lead and got another one. And then it sort of snowballed. 
Yeah, well, it was yeah, it was one one. Then the U.S. took the lead with the two Howard goals in the in the second period, and then uh, Lekaramaki, who was great for Sweden, scored on the power play um, to make it three two going to the third. And that was like, oh, they had a three one. Okay, and it was like was oh, okay, here we go. This yeah. is interesting. They yeah. you know, and then and then uh, USA got a goal from uh, Ziv Buyam from Denver to make it four two real early in that third period, and then that was like oh, we probably got it and. Then they got Ryan Leonard to make it 5-2, and then the McGordy uh, empty air. So it's kind of snowballed at the end. But uh, this was a great Team USA team. They, they were definitely uh, the best team in this tournament. They had um, these really talented guys from Michigan and Michigan State, and then obviously they had all those guys at, at BC who were right. from the US NTDP last year. Yeah. So this was kind of like a peak roster year sort of thing. And so when you have this much talent, you got to get it done. Especially because, you know, the other team that normally dominates this event is Canada and it wasn't a peak roster year for them. Yeah, they were a little down. I mean, they didn't well, they had they produced probably the two best 18-year-olds in the world and <laughs> they don't get to play because they're in the NHL. So, well. you know, no Bedard, no Fantilli and the, and the rest of their roster just was not very good. And so Team USA was definitely the better team. Um and this was their year to do it. They needed to do it, and they got it done. So it was a great experience for them, and I'm very, very happy for them. Yep, I I agree. And they honored them, actually, during Game 1 of the Stonehill series, I believe. Yep. It was uh, during right before the National Anthem. They called their names and, and notified the crowd, who may or may not have been aware that <laughs> there was even a World Juniors tournament. But anyway, felt like it was important to at least get that on tape and talk about their accomplishments. So... Now we move on to your favorite part of the podcast that you've been looking forward to. You actually put like one of those counters to when we get to talk about Stonehill. We get to briefly do it, and for eight seconds a week, you roll your eyes at me every time I bring up what happens with Stonehill. But finally, Michigan has played the Stonehill, the Stonehill Stones, and um, we will go through a little bit of the games and the goals, but uh, if you watch the first period of the first game, it went about as we expected it would. I think Michigan scored like 17 seconds into the game. Yep. Where you had uh, Gavin Brindley was alone in the house and no one was like there. (laughs) (laughs) I just remember looking at Peter and Zook and just being like, well, here we go. And then it was kind of funny because Stonehill tied the game on a power play, which is something that we need to talk about a little bit more, but it was actually a pretty good shot. The puck moved from left to right in a one-time blast from the point, goes under the bar and over Barczewski, and it was one-to-one, which, uh, I mean, it's not like I was shocked that Michigan gave up a goal on penalty kill, but you kind of weren't expecting 1-1 right away. No, it was like, oh, okay. Maybe. They got a goal. (laughs) Oh, they scored. Hey. Um, But Michigan... Scores right away again. This one we have to talk about. Tanner Rowe um, goes off the post and in off of a win by Draper. So, you know, that's one of the things that you can kind of have a takeaway in these kinds of games is getting like your bottom six and your fourth line who really, you know, finally back together after all the injuries, but hasn't done a whole lot this year. And like being able to get Rowe finally on the board and, and Draper gets a goal a little bit later and picks up an assist. Like that's got to be good going into the big 10 re like the second half of the big 10 season for kind of these guys that are not used to scoring. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's essentially an exhibition game and that's your opportunity to get these guys a little confidence and dunk on the opposition, that sort of thing. It was four, one after one and then uh, 10 to one after two. And you know, at that point you're just like, 
All right. I think we just call this here and we'll go home and see if we can. Was the Draper else was a Draper goal in that in second period? The that one was the eight one. Yeah, that was. Brindley banked one off of Fitzpatrick uh, from behind the net for seven one. Uh, there was a nice rebound goal from Shifsky and and Moldenauer to to Nazer on the power play. I mean, Brindley ended up with a hat trick, and then Moldenauer had you know, it was ten to one after two. And um, you said that the Draper one was the one where the game was like okay. I, 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 that was just. Had you seen a worse goal this year? I mean, it's not like a bizarre seeing eye shot that goes in, or, or it, it just it's just you watch it and you're just like, this is not. This is not useful in any way <laughs> because you have a puck turned over in the neutral zone. Okay, Draper skates down the wing. He takes like one of the worst shots I've ever seen. <laughs> it travels at like four miles an hour along the ice and it goes through the goalie. Like, so it's not even like he mishits it. It's a changeup that flutters over the goalie. This actually never leaves the ice. So you have many a tool that you can use to stop that shot. And I, people say, okay, the ones that don't leave the ice can be tricky sometimes for a goalie, but this one was not going at high speed, shall we say. It's just a, really a sign that, again, that we should not pay attention to this series. So we're in the third period, and then this is where, you know, we kind of have to t- talk about it a little bit, but, um, you know, they, Michigan takes a, a penalty at the end of the second. It carries over to the third. There's like 30-some seconds left in it, and they give up a wide-open look from the slot, and the guy scores. LaRusso scores wide open, walking down the middle of the house to make it 10-2. to two. Um, And then um, Grenda, Joseph Grenda, got, ended up getting behind Fantilli and Truscott a few minutes later and scored under Jake's glove to make it 10-3. to three. And then we have a bad DZTO behind the night. I think it was Truscott, and he throws it like a pizza right out in front, and it's and that was returned in, shot in, and it was ten to four. And so the game was never in doubt. It wasn't like they were going to lose and give up like six more goals. But it's just also like okay, like some of these third period issues, the power or the penalty kill issues that they had in the first half, the defensive zone turnovers that just lead to wide open easy goals again. It's in a game that doesn't really have the outcome not determined yet, but like these are these are the things that need to be fixed if this team is actually gonna you know do something in the second half. They they do have to have a better penalty kill. They can't just turn the puck over in front of their own net and give up goals. And they do need to find ways to close games. And this one stayed you know not open from the scoring standpoint, but like you know you just let them keep going and and Michigan has done that to other teams and it's cost them because you don't get 12 goals against other teams yeah I mean you can make this into something if you want to make it into something um well we have a hockey cast to talk about these were extremely sloppy goals um ones where team seemingly is losing interest and losing focus against a team that's just playing for pride there are things the the problem with the Stonehill series for me and trying to read too much into it is that the um the score effects are so massive in a game like that that yeah. it's just really hard to replicate, you know, and try to transpose or take things away from it when there's that level of a gap in the quality of competition between the two teams. So even if it like, wasn't good because Stonehill doesn't score much at all and to give up four to them is yeah, not good. And is not what you want, but 
But wouldn't what you want to see, like, is, hey, the things that have been your bugaboos in the first half, you can snuff out against a team like this? Sure. And that was the point that I was like, all right. Because they can't play the exact same way they did in the first half. Like, like the shirt says, they effed around and they found <laughs> out, right? Like, I mean, that's what happens is you, you end up just, you know, they're 18, 19 points behind Michigan State in the standings right now. I mean, they're on the bubble of the of the pairwise for sure. And, and, you know, if I had to put money down, I would think that Michigan's probably going to make the tournament. But, you know, we've watched that first half of the season and you're like, these are the reasons why they're not better. And there are injuries, don't get me wrong. But there are things that can be fixed on from a team standpoint. And I, we didn't see that on Friday. I think my thing is, if they had played a great third period and checked really well and smothered Stonehill, I would not say this was a good sign for the second half. And so the, because well, the reverse happened, I'm not going to say it's a bad omen. I just That's fair. I, 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 I understand what you're saying. If I'm um, not going to give you any credit for winning, I'm not, not going to ding yeah, you. So. Okay. Um, but we can move on to game two. Well, the one thing I did want to say, the last goal, I think Brindley scored the 12th goal. It, I can't tell if he was attempting to shoot it in and, or just he was trying to either dump in the corner or hit somebody in the puck and ended up going in just inside the post. It was for his fourth goal. He literally did not celebrate. Like, he didn't do anything. And he almost looked a little, like, down that he scored. Like, he's like, I wasn't even trying to do that. Like, what is this? Like, that went in? Come yeah. on. It's like when you chuck a ball from three-quarters court and it goes in, you're like, okay, well... Anyway, that that was kind of a good representation of this game. <laughs> the funny thing I think about this series is that you can't go back and look at the Stonehill goals even if you want because Stonehill doesn't tweet out any video from their game. Well, they had one dude that was there, <laughs> and he was he was a smaller guy, and he was he came up and and the usher was like, "Can we help you?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm with the team." And like, I'm, and she goes, "Oh, well, your box is down at the other end," and so he like goes down there and. We ended up walking by him a couple times. He seemed like a nice guy. I just kind of, kind of felt bad for him <laughs> because you know, like he's here alone and his team's getting waxed, and you're just like, "All right, guy, you know, I should have gone and brought him a cookie or something." But anyway, um, game two, uh, Noah West started. I sort of alluded to that without even hearing that Narado said that he was going to play West, which made sense. You'd probably want to give him a game in that situation, and he did. And then. Um, Kind of the first bullet point I wrote down is like when I said that they need to be better in the third, I didn't mean to not be good in the first and <laughs> give up the first goal because by the time we turned it on, it was 1-0, like three minutes into the game. And again, you're not like, oh, no, we're going to lose to Stonehill, but what? <laughs> it's definitely not what you want. Um, they tied it a little bit later, TJ from Rucker and Brindley to make it 1-1. to And then Stonehill actually got a goal called back. So I guess hat tip to the video crew up in the box because um, I think it was a, a sounds like it was an offside where Stonehill would have been up two to one again. Yeah. Where you're just kind of like, okay. Um, kind of feel like you should have gone easy on him. Just let him have this. Just one. let him have this one. You're <laughs> probably going to get seven more. Yeah. Um, which they basically did. They scored, I think, three times in the second period to go up four to one and then three more power play goals in the third, Brindley and Estapa twice. I was happy for like, you again, the bottom six guys, Moldenauer, Estapa, and then Rowe and Pletsky. Pletsky also got on the board. So this is something we talked about all year. Pletsky scores a goal on Friday. We didn't talk about this when we were talking about the game. But his assist quest is still on because he still has not gotten an assist. He did get a goal, but hasn't now had an assist in quite some time. And so 
he probably would take a goal over an assist, but um, that, I thought hard, that was... It's hard to not get an assist that weekend. <laughs> well... <laughs> there were 19 goals scored between the two games. That was what they got against Lindenwood, wasn't it? Yeah. So, um, so 7-1 to was the final on Saturday. He's up to at least 68 games since his last assist. That is... Uh, almost a full NHL go, season. You'd have to go digging into 2020-2021 Miami Redhawks to see <laughs> when that, is, that assist was. But We have not allocated the time to have that. eight goals in that period and zero assists. That's crazy. I've it's never really heard of anything do. like that. Usually, because if you're getting some goals, probably the guys around you are getting some goals. And at some point, you're just going to touch a puck, right? Yeah, get, like a, it's... get a Kent Johnson assist. But... But on Saturday, they didn't give up a power play goal, and they didn't give up a third period goal. And from all I could tell, everyone's healthy. So there we go. I guess mission accomplished. They get through the weekend, um, and they beat Stonehill. The Stonehill. What are they? Stones? Uh, Rocks? Skyhawks? Sky yes. Yes. All right. They are zero and twenty-one now this season, with a <laughs> minus eighty-two goal difference. That is. <laughs> That's. <laughs> I don't even know, man. That's feels like we should not be playing that. Is my guess. So um, we can go through some other scores uh, from teams that have played hockey since we last talked. I went through talked and went through and, and wrote some things down. So Augustana, our good buddies in South Dakota, lost to Fairbanks five to two, and they won three to two in OT. So they do get a win there. Um, they go to South Bend or for the New Year's tournament or right around new year's they lose five to one and then they lose three to two in overtime so they take notre dame to overtime on the road good for them they're you know they're not good but they're an okay team augustana like, well clearly like they battle I mean, they won a game yeah, and they battle and then they lost two to one and tied minnesota state so they got a few results in the last few games good for them uh our f- op- season opening friends providence friars lost five four at bc they beat brown an entire color, three to zero, and then they lost seven to one at BC. But then they beat BC four to three. So I guess they just keep playing BC. That's three times in the last four games they've played Boston College. Well, that's a big win for them because you know BC's a quality win. It's going to definitely boost your yeah. you know your pairwise and all that stuff. So uh, building your resume, they're definitely on track to be in the tournament. UMass beat Anchorage eleven to two, and then three to two which those seem like very different games. Tied Cornell 2-2, two to two, lost in overtime to Clarkson, tied UConn 3-3, three to three, and beat Merrimack 4-3, and lost 4-1. to one. So they've played a lot of games <laughs> since Michigan has last played a game. Is that 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 hockey games they've played since Michigan's last game? The Hockey East is, is, is really, really strong this year. Their top nine teams are all basically 500 or better. What can they get? Can they get six? Let's see how many they have right now. They have BU, BC, Maine, Providence, New Hampshire, and then UMass at 14. So that's six yeah, right So right there. now they have six if uh, if seeds hold. Northeastern and Merrimack are not in a great spot. They, okay. they need help. So they're probably not going to. Yeah, but they could get six. That's a lot. That would be a ton. I don't, I'm sure someone's gotten six, but not that I remember recently. Probably the NCHC or old... WCHA, maybe. Our, our old buddies, the Lions, from Lindenwood, lost to Western Michigan 3-2 to and 6-1. to Then they lost to Wisconsin 5-0 and then tied Wisconsin 
3-3. They are the uh, front page of College Hockey News this week. Lindenwood? Yeah. Oh, tie, get, <laughs> getting a result, I guess. That's, I mean, that's big for them, right? It says, like, giant leap. Lindenwood turned its best effort yet in the two-year program history, rallying for a 3-3 tie at Wisconsin, which had entered the weekend number one in pairwise. And that's a tough blow for Wisconsin because that knocked them down from, you know, competing for first overall seed to, I believe, fifth. Um, that tie? Yeah. Jeez. Well, the, the weekend results, I don't know exactly. Well, they won 5-0 the other okay, game, so, so yeah. I don't think any anything wrong with that game. And the tough thing about that one is, I mean, they caved Lindenwood in. The, the even strength... Uh, the three-three tie you were yeah, talking about was eighty-four to thirty-five. Mm. So you know Wisconsin was way way better in controlling chances and everything. But uh, the Lindenwood goalie Trent Burnham, yeah, we f- saw him fifty-one of fifty-four on Holy the weekend. Holy cow! Problem for Wisconsin is they started William Graham and not Kyle McClellan, and he was twenty-one of twenty-four, which isn't even like god awful, but no. it's not good. Yeah. Uh, the St. Cloud Clouds beat Uno four to one and tied two to two. Then they beat the Midgey six to one, followed up by six to one. So they had a couple of spankings of. It's Bemidji. interesting that uh, right now, since course, uh, since pairwise is now relevant, Michigan's at fifteen, UMass at fourteen, and St. Cloud at thirteen, yeah. and Minnesota twelve. So all those teams, all, well, I mean, Michigan's we familiar with. Michigan's played a lot of the teams that are in the tournament. Um, St. Cloud also lost 5-1 in Denver and tied 4-4. So not a bad stretch for them. Uh, Stonehill, they lost to, I think, everyone. Is That that seems like correct. Pretty much, They yeah. did almost sink the Merrimack, though. I think they came close to, to giving Merrimack game maybe a one-goal game. So now we'll move on to the Big Ten teams. Ohio State lost 5-4 to four to Minnesota and tied and won in a shootout, so they took two points off Minnesota. This was back in December. They beat Mercyhurst, and they beat BG twice, 6-2 to two and 4-2, to two, and then they just recently split with Notre Dame, winning 3-2 to two and losing 5-2. to two. That was their first regulation win of the season. In the Big Ten? Yep. Yeah, well, Ohio State appears to be bad. They are one and nine in regulation. That is two two and zero oh in overtime. That is bad. <laughs> uh, Wisconsin beat Penn State six to three and four to one. They beat Air Force and Northeastern, the Fighting Craig Rosses, three to zero. They won at Notre Dame twice, two to one and seven to four. Then they beat Lindenwood and, as we mentioned, tied them three to three. It's a heck of a battle at the top of the Big Ten right now. Michigan State thirty one points, Wisconsin thirty, and they have equal number of games played. Well, and they're both pretty high up in pairwise, as we mentioned, right? Like, they're both in the top five. The interesting thing is that their seasons end with Michigan State in Madison. Oh, wow. So that could be for the crown. Uh, Minnesota beat Ohio State 5-4, then lost in the shootout, like we had said. They split with CC later. They won 6-2 to and lost 6-4. to Not great. And then they beat Bobby Moe twice, 4-2 to and 4-1, to which is to be expected. Um, okay, not great for Minnesota. They do not seem to be where they were the last couple of years. No. Penn State was swept by Wisconsin. They beat 
Army 7-6 to six in football or hockey or something. That game was crazy. Did you watch any of that game? No, but I was following it online because people were tweeting about it. Were were there goalies or did they just play 6-on-6? Uh, six six? Army was up 6-2. to two. <laughs> Oh, no. What? Yeah, they were up 6-2 s- to two, uh, about 25 minutes into the game. <laughs> <laughs> they gave up six goals in 35 minutes? Yes. Or 25 minutes? Four on uh, five on five, one shorthanded and one power play. <laughs> And then uh, Penn State scored twice to make it 6-4 going into the uh, intermission. And then they scored twice real fast in the third period to tie it. And they got the game winner from Aiden Fink at 4-on-4 about halfway through the third period. (laughs) Interesting thing, Ryan Kerwan scored a natural hat trick in the span of about six minutes. (laughs) He scored the goal to make it 6-4, 6-5, and (laughs) 6-6. Uh, that, uh... <laughs> Noah Grannon, 6 of 9, yanked after 11 minutes. Well, Liam Soulier, 19 of 22. Not much better. Uh, the Penn... save percentage for Penn State right now, and their goalies... Their team save percentage? Uh, the team save percentage is 863. Oof. Noah Grannon, 885. Liam Soulier, 858. And he was, like, locked down last year. He was pretty good. Like, he was terrible two years ago. Yeah. And then last year he was really good. And this Had a year great performance against Michigan in the Back to the tournament, suck, I guess. Yep. Um, Penn State also was swept by Michigan State, 5-0 and 7-3. That's 12 goals in two games. That's that's like what Michigan State used to give up a few years ago. <laughs> Penn State may have taken on the Michigan State Swiss cheese crown, I suppose. Um, Notre Dame swept was swept by Michigan State. Five to two and two to one a while ago, and then they swept Augustana as we previously mentioned, five to one, and then three to two in overtime, and then they just got swept by Wisconsin and split with OSU in Columbus. And this is not a year where you want to split against Ohio State. You want all those points. No, and I mean the thing for Michigan is, despite how annoyed we were generally with the performance in the first half of the season, uh. They're in an okay spot right now. Not a great spot, but an okay spot. They well, are. They're not in a good spot in the Big Ten. Well, to win the conference, sure, yeah. but or, that, or really to finish second. I mean, I was about to get to that. With right, one but more team, but they have a pretty clear path to third place. Yes. Uh, one more team, and then we'll talk about that. Michigan State swept Notre Dame. They beat Ferris four to one, and then they tied your personal nemesis three to three. Uh, Michigan Tech. Michigan yeah. Tech. They. Uh, everyone was laughing. Spartan fans were laughing at Michigan over the GLI thing yeah. a few years ago. Joke's on you now. <laughs> your star goalie was away in Sweden, and so your backup had to lose in a shootout to forfeit the GLI to Michigan Tech. Now so, that you're getting those players, maybe you should agree with us and cancel this <laughs> stupid tournament and move well, it to some other time. Well, move it to some other time is something also like, Maybe Michigan and Michigan State just don't play in that tournament. Maybe you just let other teams in Michigan (laughs) play in that tournament. You know, the ones that are actually located near the lakes. Like, you have to be within X number of miles to to play, of a lake to be within this tournament, maybe. (laughs) Could be Lake State, Northern, Tech, and Western. You could do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then they swept Penn State. Michigan State did uh, most recently. So, like, I, you know, you just alluded to this, but third, third place, when you look at the standings, definitely looks within reach, and those teams are, like, that Michigan is, is battling with. Notre Dame, Minnesota, neither one great. They do have to go to Minnesota this half, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, we they, love playing we there. We play so much better there than, <laughs> than at Yost against Minnesota. 
and the and then they they get Notre Dame at home, which is also not a good thing for Michigan. They tend to play better in South Bend, but um, I mean, you look at Minnesota; they have to go to East Lansing and Madison, and then they host Michigan, where Michigan's played well. I mean, catching yeah. Minnesota is definitely feasible. With, yes. this, with a strong second half. Well, and they're about, and, and Michigan has games in hand on both those teams. I yeah, think. Notre, and Notre Dame's six points up, but Michigan has four, four in hand. Games so in that's hand. also yeah. due. I mean, there's a very clear path to third. And you look at pairwise, we had a couple of pieces by Peter on the site about the pairwise setup yep. uh, about a week ago. It was on the Friday before the NCAA tournament. Some people were confused why we were posting hot, or not NCAA, championship game for football. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute, what tournament did you, I miss? You don't know what I meant. But uh, <laughs> yeah, people were like, why is there two hockey stories on the front? We can't talk about <laughs> hockey with football playing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, and in that setup, he pointed out that, um, you know, Michigan's right on that cut line. They're at 15th, where you definitely don't want to be. Um, but like, given their first half. Yep. I'm completely fine with that. And there's like they, a, there's, there's a pretty feasible path to get to 10th or 11th or something like that. You've got six, uh, four cracks at number three MSU. You've got two cracks at number five Wisconsin. I mean, well, and that you, right there, if you make the most of those, you can move right up and, and comfortably into the picture. And when you break those down, you know, Wisconsin comes here. I think that's next weekend, not not the one coming yep. up, but so like in 10 days or whatever. And Michigan State, they obviously play home and home this weekend, but then they play home in Joe. So they yep. get two games at home, one at a neutral site, which Michigan generally plays pretty against Michigan State. Only one in month, and it's on Friday. So Right. So they get that one out of the way, and they don't have to go to Madison. So I, I think I said, I was looking this up, and I was talking to Craig about it, and I said, if Michigan sweeps Michigan State twice, and they sweep the series that Michigan State do, will have their bye on, because Michigan has two games in hand, so if they win those six games, they will still be one point behind Michigan State, which is like just an absolutely massive gap to try to cover. So first and second, you know, I, I don't know. I guess if they win out, they have a shot. But beyond that, it's probably you're probably looking at third. The last few years, you and I have sort of tried to break down how Michigan can get to at least the two seed where they host that semifinal. Um, that looks like it's probably not happening. Um you know, I suppose okay. I suppose you could. Well, it was big last year against Ohio State. It was big, yeah. It was big the year before against Notre Dame. That's how they got to the back to back. Although, big although kind games. of because we always play better in South Bend. <laughs> well, I think that year though they just lost. Um, did they lose four games to them? Maybe they lost all four to Notre Dame that year. Right. Yeah. So that was they an ex- that, to... that game was an exorcism. Right. Right. So this year it's like, can they get to third and host that first round series? Um, I mean, getting to third is big just because then, in theory, you can draw Penn State or Ohio State. Who in the are, first round, right. Who are bad. And then, you know, you get an upset of one of the top two teams, or, or I should say the, the, the second-place team, and all of a sudden um, you're hosting. So uh, we will see. It's gonna. It's definitely going to take a better second half than first half to get there, but is third place is definitely on the table. Um, now we can talk about Michigan State a little bit on this. I mean, so I was thinking about this. What These are the... Two biggest games between Michigan and Michigan State in, I don't even know. Like, Michigan played them in the tournament a couple of times, like the, the Big Ten tournament, but it was usually those like were one not of those big like games. two to seven or three six matchup where you're like, okay, one of these teams is going to waste the other team, and they did. Um, but this is the best state has been in, I don't know, since pre Anastas, maybe? Probably. Uh, since probably the late 2000s. I yeah, don't, I mean, I don't like, know exactly. A long we're talking time about before like I was following. Jeff Lurg and. and <laughs> 
that crew. But um, so Michigan State is third in pairwise, which we'd kind of mentioned. They're twenty. No, they're tied for fifth in Corsi with whom? Uh, Michigan. Michigan. So they're both. They both basically play the same style. Have the puck a lot. Shoot a lot. Um, and then their power plays at twenty eight percent, which is pretty good. Uh, Michigan's is is actually probably up around leading the country. They're thirty something, but twenty eight percent on the power play is is everyone will take that. And then their penalty kill is is much better than Michigan's. It's at eighty three. That was a little surprised by that. Usually teams that are pretty offensive like this and 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 no, um, Michigan State struggled a little bit, giving up some goals, wouldn't have a good power or a penalty kill, but they do. Eight. Um, 83% is, I think anything in college above, what, 80 is, or, may, or am I just like a Michigan fan that hasn't had a, a penalty kill in the 80s and Yeah, ever. I mean, above the 80s is okay. 85 is probably, like, yeah. what you're shooting for. Uh, fun fact, uh, the top nine teams in shots per game this season, seven of them are the entire Big Ten. <laughs> well. Penn State 1, MSU 2, Michigan 4, Wisconsin 5, Notre Dame 7, Ohio State 8, Minnesota 9. They also probably have... Most of the talent sounds like a BU, BC, and... Uh... Interestingly, BC is uh, 20th, hmm. 31 shots per game. Hmm. Well, that's interesting, because they've even smoked... I mean, they smoked Michigan State earlier. Yeah, I mean, it, it, so. some of it just comes down to, like, the style of the style team. Of play. And that some coaches... Obviously, you have systems that prioritize shooting and shooting and shooting, and you have some coaches that believe that you don't want to waste a, uh, the puck and don't want to waste yeah. a bad shot, and you and you hold for better looks. So it, it kind of just depends. All right, they have they only have five drafted skaters. Of course, they've brought in a bunch of transfers and and guys like that. Um, they have a, a first round, a second round, and then they have a guy who is clearly going to be a first round pick next year and probably a top five pick. I would say maybe maybe ten if he slips a little bit. Yeah, but, somewhere in that range. Um, so they do have. I mean, Isaac Howard. We mentioned one of those guys that is he's you know had a phenomenal World Juniors, and you kind of expect him to probably have a pretty good second half of the season. Um, they have eight skaters that are scoring over 0.75 points per game. And they have 11 guys with five goals or more this that season. That is a lot. It's, a, it's an ensemble offense. It's an interesting mix of like older guys that were transfers from places. Like you have Red Savage. Red Savage from Miami. I mean, Jeremy Davidson was originally UMass once upon a time, but he's been in the program. Reed Lebster, our old Reed Lebster, Red Lobster he, friend. He's a grad transfer. I yes, think. he's from uh, also UMass, right? Yes, they played against him yep. two years ago. Their leading goal getter, Joey Larson, was a guy they snatched up from Northern, who was a standout in the CCHA as a true a true freshman. They got him in the off season. So you got guys like that. Isaac Howard obviously was from Duluth originally. So there's a lot of transfers they snapped up from other places, and then those guys are mixed in with. You know, your Carson, Carson Dorwarts and, yeah. and guys of that nature. and Nash Niehaus. Yeah, and then Artem Levshinov kind of fell into their lap as a guy that decided to go to college really late in the process and was just looking for a team that could be competitive and could give him number one power play assignments. And, you know, he found it in them. Yep, six goals, 18 assists in 22 games. Not too bad. So they have guys and guys aplenty, and they all seem to score... Um, they have, what, Larson has 14 goals, and Gavin O'Connell, a freshman, has 10. So they have two guys, and Dora at nine. So they're just, like, you go down the lineup, and, you know, they're going to get goals from all over the place, which is, you know, kind of what Michigan was a couple of years ago when they just had plenty of people that were putting the puck in the net. And we saw, you know, how much fun and, and good those teams were. Um, and then 
the thing that they really do have is is a, a top-notch goalie in Trey Augustine. Former Michigan commit a couple of years ago, decommits during the Pearson Mel Pearson to Brandon Narado phase, and then his uh, U18 USA goalie coach, or I don't know if it's goalie coach, but a coach on that team it goes to Michigan State in Nightingale, Adam Nightingale, right? And yep. then follows him there, which that's sort of predictable. I mean, like you can, yeah, that stuff happens. You get to know these guys and they follow them for those reasons. Um, he's having a great year. Two eight three is a little high of a of a GAA, but his nine one nine save percentage. Well, is, he faces a ton of shots because he, they give up a lot of shots, right. and so um, he, he stumbled a little bit out of the gate. Um, gave up three goals in both Air Force games: three to Canisius, six to BC, four to BC. But he's also then, a true freshman, right? But then the. <laughs> His last four starts, you had two against Notre Dame, one against Notre Dame, shutout against Penn State, three against Penn State, all on decent shot volume, and you have the World Juniors in between. So this is a guy that has started to find his stride a little bit recently. It just feels like he's only going to get better. Like, he was on a lot of draft boards and obviously taken, was he second round? Second or third round? Yes, the wing, the 41st round. overall. He was second or third off the board in that draft at the goalie position. But there were, I mean, for a long time, he was like, sort of in that Spencer Knight category where people were talking about, will he be taken in the first round, right? And uh, There were some people. He was a, he was considered a good goalie prospect. Right. I would put him more in, like, the Ottinger range. Okay. Spencer Knight was seen as, like, a, you know... Generational? Yeah, hard to say generational because there was, like, a little run there of a few of those guys with Askarov and uh, Wallstedt the year after. But um, Augustine was more in the classic, just, like, close to best goalie in the draft late first to early second. But he's a guy range. that you are glad the Wings got. Yeah, I'm I'm happy about that. He's played well, and you, you need to just keep taking lottery tickets on goalies. And um, he was certainly a premium prospect. They had a lot of picks in that draft, so I got no issue with that. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be, I think, a pretty fun weekend. In both games, I believe, are at 7 o'clock. Maybe Friday, BTN Plus, if I have that correct. Or are both of the games, maybe both of the games are actually on... BTN plus, which would kind of be a bummer because this would be a series that you'd be like, Hey, why doesn't somebody put this on an actual channel? But, uh, I guess that's what you deal with when you decide you want to watch college hockey and get invested, especially in the big 10. Um, yeah, Friday looks like it is on BTN plus and Saturday also BTN plus. So BTN minus, sorry, but anyway, um, check those out. Should be good games. I, I mean, at this point, y- you need every win you can get, but I think that you go in here and you're like, you know, if Michigan splits, that's not a terrible result either. Um, they haven't played super well at Munn, even when State wasn't great. But if they get a result out of that game, they point out of that game or a result, uh, you got to be got to be thrilled. Certainly. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248 and 924-9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com.
When I said, what should we talk about during the hockey cast second segment of the Stonehill Week, you promptly responded with, Wolverines in the NHL, like you'd been sitting on this one for a while. Or you were trying to avoid more Stonehill talk because I would nefariously scheme you into having to guess all of the names on the roster by first, middle, and last name. So maybe you were had something up your sleeve to try to get out of that. And it's probably a really good idea because we have not checked in a whole lot with the NHL this year as a lot of other things are going on. But this seems like a really good time to check in with our maize and blue buddies as you when you sent me a list, there are many names. It's a lot list. longer than it used to be. <laughs> it is, isn't it? And then there were even some guys who are, you know, kind of up and down or whatever. And so this is this will take... A little bit of time, but it will. We will be able to. We always do mid-season and end-of-year updates on yeah. how they're doing, and so this is this is good. And so you've prepared this in alphabetical order, so we'll go through them. I will feed them to you, and we can talk about them, and then I can try to guess if I know what team they're on. <laughs> I should, <laughs> but there are some where I was like, I didn't know he was still in the league. <laughs> so um, the first one is, and I've actually seen him a little bit, Johnny Beecher who you and I both were a little bit like, well, he is on an ELC, and Boston is up against the cap, and he's a center, so there is a chance he makes the roster, but he's pretty much stuck all year, hasn't he? Yep, he's played the whole season pretty much for the Bruins, uh, fourth-line center-ish role. I don't know if he's playing center exactly, but... uh, You have him written down as like a big PK guy. Yeah, he plays almost nothing at 5-on-5, but uh, lots on the penalty kill. There's the... If you look at the evolving hockey player cards, they give you the even strength, time on ice, power play, and penalty kill on a graph mm-hmm. where it shows like the, the distribution of all players, and then it has little lines that shows what the usual roles are. And like he's like way below what even a fourth liner role is at even strength. <laughs> but then his penalty kill is like way above PK1. <laughs> like, yeah. So he just gets all his, his ice time there. Um, and as a result, has almost no points. Um, just, but he's in the NHL. Yeah, and, he's and playing. He's, and, you know, you got to start somewhere. He, he was sort of an interesting guy who like developed or, uh, yeah, I guess even developed late because he was a, a late first round pick. And stuck around three years and maybe even could have stayed a fourth year. But, um, you know, has sort of wormed his way out of the AHL for now and at least has a, a role on an NHL team and a good NHL team. Yeah, I mean, he's a bigger guy. He can skate. Um, he's at 54% faceoffs this year. If he could find a way to get that up to 56 or 57, then, you know, maybe he can be the next Luke Glendening. Yep, who's also on the <laughs> on list. On the list. He's so, still on the list. Yeah, you know, definitely a guy that. In hindsight, should not have been a first-round pick, but okay, he's you know he's playing games. He had the measurables at yep. least at the time. Um, Matty Beneers is you have is having kind of a bit of a rough year, and that kind of fits with 
how the Kraken have sort of come back to earth after playing really well last year. Except recently, though. But they're they are bouncing back. They lost the other night, but they were 11-0-1 in their last 12. They've rocketed back into the playoff wow. picture. 11-0-1. They were on fire. Yeah, um, apparently. And it's all because of a guy we saw once upon a time, former Arizona State goalie Joey Decord. <laughs> yeah, you. I remember you list. You were listing some of your uh, end of year trophy mid season, yeah, mid season ones, and he was like on your Vesna list. And yep. I was like, I know the goaltending hasn't been great in the NHL this year, but Joey he Decord. Is a, he is a nine twenty three, one of the highest marks in the league. In how many games? Twenty eight. He's wow. been their starter, and he has been phenomenal. So he's kind of. Good drag, thing they dragged them back into the picture. Um, spent despite, all that money and on and expansion picks on people that are not him. Despite uh, a tough season for Beniers, he only has six goals. Uh, his play driving impacts offensively look ghastly. Although his defensive ones look really good, so I don't know what's going on with that. But um, but we've I mean that not was... not unusual to see this sort of you He's... know you come in hot and then. The league adjusts, and then it's on you to make the adjustment back, and we'll see if he can do that over the second half of the season. But he's a guy we always said that was br- would bring a lot to the table in, in all phases of the game, and so even if his offense is struggling, he still is more than capable of playing defense and, and yeah. getting back and, and you know contributing in those ways. Uh, Andrew Cogliano is next on the list. Man, he was in school when I was in school. Alex, um, he's played with... Colorado this year and has kind of like been sort of rejuvenated by I guess their cup run a couple years ago and has kind of fallen in love with the city and the area and just keeps coming back on these like lower end deals I was kind of expecting him to retire he's not playing out of his mind or anything but the Avs have had forward issues in terms of injuries this year and he's filled in nicely on the fourth line he has a few goals obviously kills penalties does that sort of thing and you know, it's one of those clubhouse team guys. It's probably how you stay in the league if you're not, you know, blistering. He scored up and down. Uh, the other night against the Leafs uh, on Saturday. Night. <laughs> he did. One of his four goals on four. the year. Yeah, I mean, he's. I mean, if he gets to eight or ten goals, like that's that's a, quite a year. He the kills only, penalties, and the only thing I have to add on this is he recently, uh, last week, entered the top 100 of all-time games played in the National Hockey really? League. Yep. Well, he had that Iron Man streak, right, yep. for a while. And... He's now at 1,257, uh, tied for 97th all-time with Joe Neuendijk. If he plays another 30-some this year, he could easily climb up uh, into the top 80 all-time. He's also kind of one of those guys that like fills the leadership void with Landeskog not being back yet. And so having a guy like him, and, and we'll get to Jack Johnson a little bit later, you know, that kind of sort stabilizes, I think, locker room. And then if you start looking around at good teams, like they tend to have those kinds of guys. It's hard to be in this top 100 list. I mean, these are a lot of good names. I mean, Cogliano might have an argument for being the worst player on this 100-person list because it's a, a great list. Well, so he, even to be in this club to play that many games is a heck of an achievement. Yeah, I mean, he's never been a, like a great NHL no. player. He just always seems to find a role and play really, really hard, and people seem to really like having him around on top of that. So um, Next is the former F, now a Red Wing, JT Comfer. Um he was an interesting guy because I always I I was hard on him from time to time in Colorado because I thought that he was not scoring to uh, his uh, dollar value that he was getting paid, but um, picked it up sort of in their cup run year, and then last year had a career year after basically playing two C when he's more or less a three C. Um, 
but you've been happy with what he's done in Detroit this year? He's been fine. He's played in the middle six center role. Um, not a ton to say. His scoring has stayed at a reasonably comparable level to the high level he had last year in Colorado, obviously with uh, higher assignments, so that contributes more power play time. He plays a ton on the penalty kill, yeah, too. He's always, been a, good, always yep. been a good PK guy. Yep, and him and uh, uh, Andrew Kopp, who's right there on the list, those guys have played a lot together on a line this season. They've been, um, to at some points, PK1 together. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wings like putting them on the ice together because... Cop is a left shot center and Comfer is a right shot center, and so they can, ah. depending on where the faceoff is on the ice, they then can you can swap yeah. in and out when you're on the same line. Uh, before we get to him, we'll talk about Kyle Connor, who was having just an absolute heater of a year to start, and I mean pushing the NHL lead in goals, and then gets a, a rough injury and has been out for what, over a month, I think now, and not that it's really slowed down Winnipeg a whole nope. lot, but. Um, it's just a bummer for him because he was he's always been kind of one of those guys that's been really good but played in Winnipeg and so you don't always get to Yeah, I mean I was looking about him, I was looking at his stat page last night and I forgot that uh, 2 years ago he scored 47. Yeah. Um so he was on pace to potentially break that but uh, he should be back pretty soon is what it sounds like. He's skating with the team again, so he could come back as soon as... It was like a as... month to a month and a half injury. Yeah, so he, he could be back as soon as this week, potentially. And he'll be a big boost for Winnipeg, who's a, a really good team this year. And they're a great sort of low-event defensive team with great goaltending. So getting him in the lineup, you know, he gives them something they don't right. have. And right. and that's what he's done his whole career. It's basically yep. just He's just been a guy that fills the net. Right? I mean, he's scored, since entering the NHL, he scored 31, 34, 38... 26 in a shortened season, so also a 30-goal pace. 47-31, and then he was at 17-26 and 26 this season. Could still so easily get easy to 30. To 30 yeah. I, so, I mean, this is a guy who is just a lock for 30-plus every yep. year. Yep. And then uh, Andrew Kopp, who was right around that same time, played with Comfort in, at Michigan, now plays with him with the Red Wings. Um, the Wings signed him, what, last year? 2022, as a, as yes. As a free agent, so he's in his second year. Um, sort of a middle six, bigger guy, can play wing, can play center. Yeah, it hasn't been a particularly great season for Andrew Kopp, in, in my view. Um, last year, he really struggled in the first year of the contract, and there was all the talk about he had had a core muscle surgery um, in the in the off season and the, the recovery for that. And So the hope was coming into this year, he could um, kind of be rejuvenated and back healthy. And... It just kind of hasn't happened necessarily. I mean, he has eight goals. He scored the game winner the other night against the Leafs. He's actually scored a goal in three straight games at this point in time, so he's been a little hot recently. But you know, 21 points in 42 games, okay. Um, eight goals, that's more in line with kind of his career average, but his play-driving impacts are, are quite bad. Um, he's, you know, he still plays a ton on the penalty kill. There's been some grumbling in corners of the fan base and, and some discussions online about what to do with him in the long term. But well, he started. Uh, his... hopefully he can build on this little hot streak he's on and, and start to find his footing again. I mean, he's not too dissimilar from, from Comfort. They're, the yeah, they're pretty similar players. Kind of started around the fourth line, a little bit better, moved up to the third line, was a big trade acquisition from... The Rangers a couple of years ago and had a nice little Jets playoff. to the Rangers. Jets yes, Rangers. he scored 18 uh, points in 16 games after coming over in the right. regular season. Then he poured in 14 and 20 in the playoffs, and, and that was like, oh, turn that into probably a deal that's maybe a little bit higher value than what you're getting now on a day to day basis. But you know, good for him for 
turning what was a afterthought sort of. Yep. You know, he was a quarterback, I think, in high school. He was at Skyline. At Skyline. He um and was a captain in Michigan and he, during some rough years. He uh he went to elementary and middle, the same elementary middle I went to. Okay. And um when he was in high school at Skyline, another kid named Alex Hassan was the quarterback uh at Huron and had also been his same age at uh, our elementary middle. <laughs> so that was like, that was a big deal. And I, yeah, they were, I think they're 94 kids. So that would have been when I was in like middle school, but it was like, wow, we produced two of the three starting quarterbacks in the city of were, Ann Arbor. Were you also a starting quarterback at your high school? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, next we have, uh, <laughs> well, you called him PDG and I had to think about it for a little bit, but it's Phil D. Giuseppe. Phil D. Giuseppe. Who, gosh, uh, had a all right, to unremarkable Michigan career probably 10 plus years ago and has never really like caught on anywhere consistently in the NHL but every year seems to like find a team that he mostly stays above water with uh or above the AHL I guess I should say he, yeah he's kind of a tweener but this season he's been more of an NHLer uh he's with the Canucks now where he was last year uh he played 32 games and they've played only 40 something so most of the games, and he was a regular in the lineup basically for the first two and a half months of the season. Then recently, he's been relegated to scratch territory. If you look at the advanced numbers, they're grisly. Um, I mean, I would guess. Yeah. So, <laughs> but he's a classic guy that he checks, and he, which know, is something he didn't do. In Michigan. And he, but anyway, and he's a, just a, a bit of a grittier guy. He can play defensively, and and the Canucks have Rick Tockett as the head coach, who's really that sort of coach. He likes hardworking guys. He likes guys who check and all that sort of stuff. And so um, he was actually playing on the second line with J.T. Miller and Brock Besser for a little while. Um, hmm. And then since then, it's tumbled down the lineup. But uh, Tockett recently had been playing Pedersen with Sam Lafferty uh, <laughs> and Ilya Mikheyev. So Tockett is the kind of coach who can take kind of scrubby sort of players and play them high in the lineup because they work hard. Um, the jig's probably up for him this season. I don't think he's going to claw his way back into the picture for the Canucks. But At least with Vancouver. Probably yeah. not. But, you know, he got 32 games in and he had three goals. There's nothing wrong with that for a guy that really was not a legendary college player well, by any stretch of the he imagination. He was the guy that I think Brian trolled when he left saying something along the lines of, hope you have fun back checking in the ECHL and... Well, joke's on Brian now. Well, he, he, PDG responded to him. Well, I'll miss you too, big guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that was not a fun era of Michigan hockey, I'll tell you that. So um, next up is uh, Adam Fantilli, who I think we all remember from last year. Uh, he's on. You have him on pace to score about 20 goals. Columbus is not very good, but he's probably not going to win the Calder. Uh, Calder's kind of up in the air at the moment because of Bedard injury. Um, yeah. And he's out like a while, right? Yeah, a bit of time. Although he's back skating already, but he can't take contact. Yeah, contact. Yeah. <laughs> the well, broken I mean, jaw. You could probably skate with a broken jaw. You just can't like hit anybody. You can probably do a lot of things with a broken jaw. Sure. But probably, probably not eat. Probably not. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, the, Bedard was really the runaway favorite there. There's been a brewing internet controversy on the Calder. Um with an old Big Ten name, uh, our old friend Brock Faber from the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Oh, he was really good. He was really good, and he's gone to the Minnesota Wild, and he's had a really, really nice season. They um, 
had an injury to Jared Spurgeon, their number one defenseman, early in the season, and so Faber got elevated in the lineup, and since Spurgeon has come back, I believe he's playing with Spurgeon. He might be playing with Brodeen. I don't remember which, but uh, this season he's averaging 24-47 average time on ice, yeah, one of the highest uh... marks of this in the NHL, and he's, you know, as a rookie. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. And He's playing, like, what, top D minutes? Yeah, and the impacts are, are good. Like, he, he wins his minutes pretty regularly. And, and what degree that is team effects versus anything else, I don't know. But this, it's certainly impressive. And so there was already a chorus of people saying, hey, Faber should be getting, you know, big-time consideration. And it wasn't going to happen as long as Bedard stayed healthy and scored 35 goals. But now that he isn't, then, you know, maybe it's up in the air. What I'll say is... Uh, this is one of the best rookie classes in a long time that I can remember when I was looking at the Calder voting for the midseason. A lot of years, you get to the fourth or fifth name for your Calder ballot, and you're like, I don't like any of these players. These guys are bad. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's, In most years, there's only two or three rookies that are deserving. But this year, I think there's seven, uh, give or take. That's a lot. Marco Rossi's also played well for the Wild. Another player on this list uh, from Michigan has played very, very well. Connor Zeri uh, for the Flames has played well, and then Adam Fantilli's played well, and he's doing the most with what he has in, in Columbus. And he wouldn't win the Calder in most years. It would have to be a really weak year for him to win it, but 20 goals, nothing wrong with that, especially when he's when you're 18, 19, something 19. like that. I mean, this is a hard league to break into, really hard at a super young age. We've seen that. It's become harder and harder. Um, so for him to, if he can get to 20, that's a really good indicator for his future. Uh, previously mentioned Luke Glendening. Um, man, I remember when he was a captain here. I think he was a captain during the Big Chill. And he might have even started on the club team or, or maybe had to play there for some reason. I don't know. But somehow is still in the league. He's, he's with Tampa playing fourth line, just winning like 92% of his faceoffs or some ridiculous amount like that. And that's just kind of like what he does. I assume he pil- kills penalties. Yep. But... It's, um, it's the usual Luke he has the He has the, what, Chase, you gave me the Chase Pletsky line. He's a seven one eight. Yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty funny one. Uh, but he's winning. I mean, fi- he might get 10 goals. 57% of his face-offs, he's won. If you go back to 2017-18, he's winning about 58% over so a six-year six you... period, six, seven-year period. Something that seems almost random even for, like, the best, like, face-off winners. How, how do you... Like, what is that? How does that happen? Just a skill. I mean, there have been okay. guys over time like, what do you that... do that all of a sudden you put your stick down faster? Like I, don't I mean, there this. was that time that, like, really early in, in uh, the career of Sidney Crosby, like, it was talked about that he wasn't, like, a particularly good face-off guy. He was only 51%. And then he had that summer where he just, like, went away and came back 56% because he presumably just, just did face-offs practice. every single day, you know, 700 times a day. So... I don't know. It's a good skill for him to carve out because he's always been a bit of a classic analytics versus 200 hockey men guy because he doesn't really win his minutes. He's never graded out particularly well analytically, but as long as he wins 57% of the face-offs, coaches will always want that. I mean, you could do worse things. And this year he's gotten to play on the especially, fourth line with another Michigan guy who we'll get to PK, later. Right? Oh, yeah. Like if, you, yeah. If, you win that, yep. if you win that amount on the PK and you can you know, block a few shots and stay in your lanes and, and be able to pass guys off. Like, I mean, yep. <laughs> you can play forever. 
Uh, Luke Hughes is next on the list. Um, he was a guy who, what, made his debut in the playoffs last year, I believe, with the uh, Devils? He made his debut right before, two games before. Right before. And then he played a few games in the playoffs. Yeah. And he's moved up because of an injury, I think, and yep. is getting a lot of PP one time. ton of it because Dougie Hamilton is injured, and the Devils don't really have an obvious other player. I mean, the other one would be Simone Nemitz, who's also a rookie. So um, you're in the same boat. Same boat, right? The other guys are Marino and Siegenthal are useful players, but you know that's not really their thing. So might as well use Luke Hughes where his skills are most useful. Well, and, I mean, that's where Quinn started, right? Yep. And so uh, he's got 12, uh, 11 points on the power play uh, through 41 games. He has 23 overall. He's got seven goals. Um, playing 20 minutes a night. He's definitely done okay. I mean, he's playing second pair at 5-on-5, five five, but about what you would want to see to this point. Um, he's in a much better situation than Quinn Hughes had yeah. coming into the NHL. He doesn't have to be no. the franchise. No, he's not playing as much as Faber. He's not playing as hard of minutes as Faber, and so he's he's able to ease his way in, and uh, he's doing well with what they're giving to him. So that's what you want to see while he continues to develop. Speaking of Quinn, he's next on the list, having a very nice season. Looks like... He's uh, in near the top of the Norris race. Um, and, you know, I wonder, you know, because he kind of went through a few years there where he just sort of did some things well but never really completed his game. And, you know, they made him a captain in the off season. There was a yep. big, like, ceremony where he's putting on the jersey and everything. And he's kind of playing like he's sort of a cornerstone of a franchise, finally. He is... You can't really say enough things about good things about Quinn Hughes and how good he is. Um, the, the funny thing about Quinn Hughes, another internet saga, is uh, before the season, the Athletic did a player tier rankings, and they ranked him. I, I think it was three B or three C on their tiers or whatever. I thought it was a little low at the time, personally. The quotes they concluded it was a mix of supposedly analytics and then scouts. Yeah, And it was a classic, you know, the Michigan fans listening to this that read the athletic anonymous quote pieces about Michigan football are very familiar with this. But they included some quotes from these scouts about Quinn Hughes that were some of the dumbest things I'd ever read. <laughs> and so the Canucks, what's a great thing about them and their and their season they're having is their fan base is like militant online. They, they are just with torches and pitchforks. <laughs> and so they just like just you know, repeatedly attacked the athletic people that made it and just like went crazy about this. And then the best part is Quinn Hughes then just goes out this season like he was one of those people. Furious. <laughs> Maybe he was. Because Maybe he was like the rallier getting everything. Apparently, <laughs> because then he just went out and is leaving no doubt whatsoever that that ranking was ludicrous because uh, he's been clearly one of the best defensemen in the NHL this season. He's at 52 points in 44 games. Uh, the plus minus stuff is it is what it is, but he has a plus thirty three just for the fun of it. Uh, eleven high. eleven goals. He just he's gotten so so much better in his NHL career. He's how he's continued to improve over where he was uh, in college, and he's driving play at elite elite levels. And I think as long as the Canucks stay in the in the top of the Pacific, he'll have a very very good Norris case. And I and I think he at this point in time, is probably the slight favorite. But I would say that he is the best Wolverine in the NHL at this point in time. Certainly this season. And he would have had competition, I think, had Connor not gotten hurt. Yeah. Um, 
All right. Then moving on to another guy who's having quite another good year, um, Zach Hyman, who, you know, you were a little bit skeptical about signing him when he left the Leafs and then went over to the Oilers and played well next to McDavid on the top line. And this year has, I think, taken it to an even other level. Yeah, I mean, Hyman, the lesson of that, and the contract may still age badly at the end because he's uh, 31 right now and he does have those reconstructed knees that he's playing on. How many years do you have left? I think it was a seven-year deal, so you have four more. But so not too bad. The lesson of that, I think, is that you never want to bet against guys that just keep getting better and better and better. And he he just got better over his time in Toronto, and he's just continued to do that with Edmonton. And he has 26 goals in 38 games. He's on pace to blow past 50. Yes, his shooting percentage is high for his career, but that's often what has to happen to have an explosion like that. Sure. Um. And he absolutely benefits from playing on the Oilers, and they have a great offensive team. They control play phenomenally, but he's a guy that makes the best players better, too, and that's what he's made his whole career in doing. Well, and he goes in front of the net, and he goes in the corners, and yep. like when you have a guy like McDavid, that's the exact type of person that you want to play with him. And and Hyman also, like he's not Michael Bunting. Like Michael Bunting had great moments playing with Austin Matthews, for example, but really was just a very limited player if he played with anybody else. Hyman at times in Toronto played on other lines and, and, you know, he played on a third line and he drove a third line. Like he's a, he's a really, really good player. And I was disappointed that he didn't get to go to the all-star game Mm. um, because it would have been fun to see him get that opportunity, especially in his hometown and back where it all started in Toronto. And I would have, if I was the league, I would have named him the all-star for the Oilers and made McDavid a vote-in guy because obviously he's going <laughs> to get voted in. He's going to get voted in. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's just but uh, <laughs> given how NHL players feel about the all-star game, he probably prefers to be in just like, Cabo or whatever. Yeah, go. Did you mean, see the, did you see, by the way, did you see the video of Bjorkstrand? No. <laughs> he was the, he's the Kraken all-star. Okay. And they, they, they filmed him being told about it and it's yeah. just like the classic nhl player thing where it's like dave haxtall sitting there and he's like so what are you doing oh you know over the all-star break he's like oh my wife and i are going to san diego and he's like well you got to cancel that and he's like oh and like because you're going to toronto you're an all-star and he's like oh i guess i'll cancel it then <laughs> let me call my travel agent <laughs> <laughs> just like blank stare it's just like well i guess i can't be sad <laughs> But inside, I was looking forward to the warmer weather. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jack Johnson next on the list after Zach Hyman. And he's like, we talked a little bit about Cogliano. He came and signed a, uh, what, a, PD, a PTO? Is that what it's called, right? Um, yeah. Two years ago with, with the Avs and somehow made the team and had a really nice run. Um, and then they... Chase, he kind of got paid a little bit more by Chicago, but they traded for him at the deadline, and this year signed for the veterans minimum. And um, I don't think his numbers are very good. And when I listen to podcasts and read about him and watch him a little bit, he doesn't do a lot. But you know what? The one thing that he does do every night is he dresses. And there's, you know, I was listening to an Avs podcast, and the guy was talking about it and just saying, you know, like, there's a lot worse guys that you can have than someone who literally plays every single game for three years, and you know what you're going to get from him. And he's, you know, obviously he's 36, 5, somewhere around there years old. But um, still in the league, a, a guy that people like, 
you know, and it's 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 ironic because like all the stuff that happened with his dad and everything, and then like this guy ends up turning out to be like one of the best dudes. <laughs> like people just want him on their team, and um, you know, he kills penalties and he and he plays. He can still skate, and he can he still hits. Um, and I guess like the one thing that he's just really good on defense is is his breaking up zone entries, and that's one thing that Colorado really. Um, values a lot. So he kind of fits, I think, if any... Well, he's also a really good skater, even at this age. uh, If you followed the NHL Edge tracking stuff they've rolled out this season where they track how fast guys are, he's one of the fastest defensemen in the league. Is he really still? Yeah, he is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he does jump up in the play, and and he doesn't try to play like, I'm going to carry the puck like he did at Michigan where he's going to control it, but, you know, he makes smart plays and stuff. He, He still, you know, takes a couple bonehead penalties and um, is at fault for goals a lot of times because he gets lost or loses a guy. But, um, you know, he, he's making less than a million dollars playing on your third pair and you can put him in any sort of situation. And it seemed like that cup run for Colorado really like rejuvenated his career because at least, you know, he is probably the best, probably the most fun, like him and Cogliano. This is probably the most fun two or three years they've had in the league because neither one of them consistently played yep. on teams that were, you know, always winning playoff series and, and stuff and, you know, winning tons of games. And now they've sort of both settled into a situation where they're on a pretty good team and they don't have to have all the responsibilities in the world, but do what they do best. And, um, you know, it's kind of, it's good to see for him. He's a guy who, you know, his career didn't go how you thought it would maybe, um, from the very beginning, but, um, has, I mean, he just, Broke a thousand games a year ago. I mean, you're talking about Cogliano playing a lot of games. Jack is probably pushing he's over at, 1,100. Yep, he's at a, close to 1,150. Yeah, so you know, good for him. Hope he hope he get continues to stay healthy. And you know, that's the other thing. He gets hurt, and like he's back in the lineup the next day. Like that's that's kind of been his one of his shticks in Colorado. So um, the next guy is another Johnson, Kent Johnson who I believe you are trolling me with this one because you gave me no notes. I, I guess I missed that one. So. Um, he he's had a weird year. He got sent down. Didn't he got he? sent down to the AHL. I, you know, the Blue Jackets are the Pistons of the NHL right now. No, 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 no. no. They've won more than three games. They've uh, the Pistons are up to four, right? Four. They've won. They more won than yesterday four against the Wizards. <laughs> but no, they're the they're the Pistons of the NHL because so much like bizarre stuff keeps happening with them. Like strange. You mean, you mean off the ice? Strange quotes that just make you wonder what is going on yeah. in the front office. He got sent down to the Cleveland Monsters. And put up 15 points in 10 games. Like, clearly way too good for this league. There was no reason for that demotion. He wasn't, like, not scoring at all in the NHL. Well, there's it's an ongoing situation where basically the coach doesn't like him. And this happened last year uh, under whoever their coach was. Brad Larson, the most forgettable guy. They canned him. (laughs) And then they were going to bring in Babcock, and that happened. And so now it's Pascal Vincent. And, And Johnson's ice time is... Stayed low. He's at 1346. He was at 1431 last year. That's basically like you get to play third line and maybe a little on the power play, and that's it. And for the for fifth overall pick only a few years ago, a young guy, you're you're a bad team. Like he needs to develop. He yeah. needs to be playing. And and clearly, he's probably too good to be developing in the age. Way too good. He needs to be on a team where he gets a chance to play. And if the coach is not giving that to him in Columbus, like I, they need to find a new place for him play him or move him somewhere else and so he's done well 14 points in 28 games on only 1346 time on ice so i don't know what's going on with that 
but and he's only in his second year. Yep. Right. I mean, like yeah. he so, played at the end of two years ago, I think. But yeah. So, so I, I hope uh, there will be a good resolution for him there, well, or else they'll find somewhere else for him to go. Columbus needs to clean out a little bit of their front office a little, and then kind of reset. And then they they do have some assets. They have a guys. lot of young guys, but yeah. it's a really poorly run franchise right yeah. now. That's probably true. Dylan Larkin, a uh, guy who played uh, his one year at Michigan with Zach Hyman the year before Kyle Connor got there. Um, he is the Wings captain and just signed to a long-term deal, kind of the face of the franchise now. They finally have their guy who they have leading the next group of people going forward. Um, nothing super remarkable about him, but he's just been a constantly he's a, just a really, really good, good player. Yeah, yeah, just a good player. I and mean, nothing really has changed here. He's going to score you know, 80 points again, something like that, 30-some goals, and can do a lot worse than that. John Merrill. John Merrill. Man, like, you look at these names, and these are all guys from, like, the, not even the end of the Red Era, but, like, the... the, the like, early 2010s. Yeah, I, he was here, I think, going to be here for a year, maybe two, ended up three, because he, you know, had an injury and some off-the-ice issues, but um, has kind of carved out a role as, like, a bottom or bottom-pairing defenseman who just plays no events. Like nothing really happens when he's on the ice. Yeah, and for he, a third pair guy like that, you could—that's fine, right? And he's a classic like sixth, seventh defenseman. Uh, he's down to thirteen twenty-two this season time on ice, so that's a very, very sparing role. But he's played in thirty-two games, which is the majority for uh, for Minnesota. So there's nothing wrong with he that. He just get hurt. He missed a game the other day or whatever. He, but... he might. I don't know. I I didn't know he was honestly still playing. I knew he was. <laughs> I knew he was last year, but I didn't yeah. know if he was still he's on a roster. Minnesota, this year. I think. Yeah, the Wild. Yeah. Um, another guy sort of fitting that same build, Tyler Mott. Um, he's was on the CCM line with Comfer and Connor, uh, benefited from a ridiculous shooting percentage that year. I think he at one point topped out over 25%. He just kept scoring and scoring and scoring goals. Hasn't really translated. That's not really, uh, his game anymore. You have write down that he's much more defensive oriented player bounced around a little bit. Hasn't really stuck on one particular team. But he's, he's, he's a try-hard, scrappy guy, and still finding his way. He's a guy who like teams trade for like their really, really late round picks yes. and pick up for like uh, a playoff run. Well, the Rangers did that back to back years. <laughs> yeah, they, they got him again. They got him from the Canucks. Then they didn't have the cap space to keep him, so he went to Ottawa and they traded for him again. <laughs> Somehow and, they could afford that contract. And now he's on the Lightning. I think he's with Glenn Denning on the line. I, Is he? I don't know exactly, but those are the two kind. You know, those are guys that play together on a fourth line, right? And play together on a penalty kill. Um, three goals, five points, nothing exciting. His defensive numbers looked actually really good when I was looking at some of the player cards for him. So that's nice. That's kind of been his thing, though. Yep. I mean, his he's now on his sixth team in the NHL. Yeah. He started with the Blackhawks, um, I think. Blackhawks, Blue Jackets. Canucks was his longest stint. And then uh, Rangers, Ottawa, and Tampa. Now he also uh, got married over the summer, so oh, good for good him. Good for him. Yeah, Josh Norris uh, plays for the Senators. Just signed a nice big deal a year or two ago, so he'll have a little bit of money coming his way. He also had a pretty rough injury a year or two ago, so he's having. Yeah, is he still hurt a little bit this year? 
he was banged up going into the year. Then he was healthy. Now he's banged up again. Was it I was believe. it last year when he had the season long yeah. one? Okay. Yeah. He only played eight games last year, and yeah. then he had the season ending surgery. Um, when Norris plays, he's a really good player. Yeah. Um, he's got 113 points in 166 games, and this is spanning the early part of his career. I mean, which is all, which is going to obviously your points per game probably yeah. going to be lower. And he, he's done fine at five on five in terms of driving play and stuff like that. He's got a really good shot. I mean, a goal scoring centerman who uh, can control play. He's six foot two. Like this is a guy that should be a second line to first line, you know, ish center. I mean, like if you're Ottawa. You know, you have Tim Stutzla as your as your top line center, Norris as your number two. That's a really good pairing, and yeah. they just haven't gotten to see it a lot, and that's what's really been unfortunate. And so, you know, I just kind of wonder with that sizable cap hit he has, if he stays there long term or what they end up doing, because the Senators had a really um, bad season to date. They came in with expectations. They're not going to make the playoffs again. They got new ownership. They can their GM, can their coach. So there's going to be big changes coming with this team to some degree, and it sounds like they're not thinking of breaking up the core yet, but he definitely feels like if they did, that could be a guy that would go. Just because... They're not going to trade Kachuk, they're not going to trade Stutzla, and they're probably not going to trade Sanderson, so then who are you going to trade? And, you know, you could free up cap space and move some pieces around, and he could be a guy. And he's a guy who, like, you know, maybe if he just needs a new place and... Maybe a better better training staff? I don't know. know. But but the problem is this goes back to his Michigan days, too. Yeah, he was hurt for the second half of... It just kind of feels like this might be kind of who he is to some degree, which is really unfortunate. Well, unfortunate for the teams that have to do it, but fortunately for him, he got signed his contract <laughs> first. So yep. he'll get, still make some money over the next few years. Uh, Max Pacioretty, man, we, that is a deep cut. Uh, he was back in the just post-Jack and Cogs days, played on the Porter and Kalarik line uh, on one of Michigan's best lines previous to the CCM line. Um He's still in the league, I guess. Uh, he had a rough couple injuries with Vegas and Carolina and now had tried a one-year deal, basically, or half-year deal, I guess, is what it really is going to be with Washington and uh, just made it back on the ice. Um, I, I don't know. I know Washington hasn't gone away. They, they could still be in it for the playoffs. We'll see. But um, I'm not really sure. What the deal is with Patch? I mean, it's it's he had the he signed with Carolina uh, the previous offseason twenty twenty two. Oh, he was cap dumped. Yeah, you're right yeah. about that. Um, and that seemed like a great match. The Carolina needs guys that can score at a, at a high end level, and and he was one of the best, most underrated goal scorers of his era, especially I mean, back in the Montreal days. Yeah, and I then mean, going to Vegas, a he little scored thirty three fifteen in the in the lockout shortened season. So that's like a thirty goal pace. 39, 37, 30, 35, then 17 was lower, 22 was lower, but then 32 in 71 games, 24 in the COVID season, which was also, again, a 40-point pace. I mean, that's six, seven, you know, something years where he was a 30-plus goal scorer, and a number of those were in years back when it was impressive to score 30 goals. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, he was... Now, they just give them away. Yeah, apparently. so... He was a great player for a long time. He's got to be up there on the list of the best Michigan players to ever play in the NHL. And so it's been unfortunate to see him. Well, he was probably the best Michigan player in the NHL for a while. Yeah, for a while. So it's unfortunate that he's had these Achilles issues. But look, if he can, he just got back for Washington. He's played six games for them. If he can 
find a bit of a groove and click, then maybe in the off season he can find a new home on a contending team. And if he can stay healthy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He needs to stay healthy and, and find a groove. Um, all right. Owen Power uh, was basically in his second full year. Obviously, he played a little bit um, with Buffalo at the end of two years ago. Um, I don't know. Like, this has always been a guy that, like, when we watched him, there were things you liked, but he was never really what he was sort of billed to be at Michigan. And, you know, Buffalo just signed him to a long deal for, was it six or seven a year for yep. the next, I don't know, eight years or something like that. And he still hasn't really, like, exploded in the NHL. Of course, it is Buffalo, and, and their franchise is a bit all over the place, as it has been for a while. But, um, again, he's a guy who, who got his money. I'm not sure that the numbers are backing it up yet, though. Uh, he was a, it's his player cards are odd because last season he had 35 points and 79 games and his player cards indicated that he was driving a ton of offense and not a, not a lot of good defensive results. And this year it's reversed. And this year his defensive results look pretty good, but his offensive results don't at all. I don't really know if there's anything there or if it's just noise in the early part of a guy's career. Um, you always were saying he may never be a top pair, but he probably will at least be a second pair. Yeah, I, I don't know if he'll end up being a, a on the level of, you know, in the, in the ballpark of Quinn Hughes or even Wierenski. But at the very least, I would be surprised if, you know, he doesn't end up as good as Truba, for example, who's next on the list. <laughs> right? I mean, he's a solid player, but he's young. Um, he's still only 21, I think. Yeah, because uh, he was young when he was here. Yeah, so... He's got a lot of time to go. He's only played 131 NHL games, and um, you know the package is is there in some ways. He's got a, a decent shot. He he can handle the puck. He's six foot six. He yeah. can move at that size. So uh, there's going to be more development that will need to go into his game, and and maybe it'll round together, and the package will be great when it all comes out. I don't know exactly, but um, I think he could really benefit from playing with a little more structure and certainly with more talent on that blue line. Um, Buffalo needs to sign some more NHL defensemen and <laughs> to give him a hand. All right, you mentioned Jacob Truba. We can talk about him. Not um, much to say on him. Oh, He's just the same. You love his hits, though, right? Like he is that's the, his, the biggest hitter. Maybe the biggest hitter in Michigan history? Probably. I, I mean, mean, he's the biggest know. hitter in the NHL right now. He has been for a few years. Nothing really changes with him. He's still just a guy who plays a lot of minutes, decent top four defenseman, but never not really a game changer in any way. Shot? He can still shoot the puck and all that stuff, but his salary is probably too high for what he's worth. But Captain the Rangers. Yep, not a bad second pair kind of player. He makes a lot of people very mad. <laughs> <laughs> as as certain hockey players tend to do. Uh, Zach Wierenski, another guy who's in that weird situation in Columbus where there's uh, a lot of Michigan players. Um, he plays a lot. Finally, um, is healthy this year. I mean, he was another guy who was having a very nice career and then just kind of kept getting hurt for two or three times, missing a, lot, a long stretch at the time. Signed his long-term deal, so he's all right, but... Um, Kind of a bummer for a while. Is he back being healthy and contributing this yeah, he's, year? He's played uh, 34 games, so that's most of their games. He has 25 points, but obviously he plays a, a decent amount on the power play, although right. only five power play points, so he's creating quite a bit at even strength. Um, again, he plays a, a lot of minutes for them, um, 24 a night roughly. Uh, that ranks him 
33rd in the NHL, so that's like you know 1D minutes depending yeah. on the on the team. So uh, nothing wrong with him. It's just really hard. He's not going to make a run for any awards so long as you're on that kind of team. Well, and that's part of the problem. Yeah, uh, we're in a nice run of defensemen here because we'll finish it with Cam York, who uh, left Michigan before their. Uh, runs to Frozen Four. Yes, he never got to play never in the con- tournament, yeah. unfortunately. Right, um, because of his unfortunately the the shutdown years and all of that. But um, he's kind of blossomed a little bit this year. He started a little slow and in, in Philadelphia, which wasn't really a team that wasn't really going in a great direction for a while. But although they've had a nice little year, I don't know if it'll last and turn it into a playoff appearance. But um, you have him say you have a note saying that he's playing over twenty two minutes a game. And uh, so it cl- clearly he's won over John Tortorella. <laughs> yeah, he's the number two defenseman in time on ice for them behind uh, Travis Sanheim. 15 points in 44 games. He plays on the power play a decent bit. He plays on the penalty kill quite a bit. Um, he doesn't get caved in when he's out there or anything. But, uh, you know, really encouraging solid season for him. And uh, we'll see how much better he can keep getting. But so is he still on ZLC then? I think so. So this will be this will probably be his bridge deal. The year when they sign him, uh, I would assume they'd at least sign him to a bridge year, uh, unless he wants. A, no, he signed an extension over the summer um, for what? One point six for two years. Oh, so a short one. Yep. So that that's hmm. sort of a bridge of sorts, and then when he's done with that, they'll he'll be an RFA with arbitration rights. So that would then potentially be a, a, a bigger deal. Yeah, you would think so. That by that point. So that's it for basically the NHL guys. You made a list of some guys in the AHL. We can go through them a little quicker. Uh, Mackie Samuskevich playing. Uh, you just mentioned he played in an outdoor game. Which yeah, he played uh, in the Queen City Classic, something like that. I think against the Rochester Americans. Yeah, he's with the Charlotte Checkers. But he's having a nice little year, 23 points in 29 games. And you said that he played a couple games up with the Panthers. Yeah, I don't think he'll get on the NHL roster this this season because the Panthers are having a great year. and Could he be trade bait? Could be. Just generally speaking, teams don't load their lineup with rookies if they're going to make a playoff run. Yeah. It's just not something you tend to do. So, But yeah, I mean, the, fly, uh, the Panthers have traded a number of picks over the years. I don't think they have this year's first. I, don't uh, think so I know they definitely don't have... He's yeah. probably their biggest asset. Yeah, they don't have a first till 2026. So he's definitely wow. a guy that if they want to push in some chips that's a guy that might have to be moved out um but yeah it looks like a promising prospect brendan brisson is with the henderson, henderson silver Knights. silver knights yeah it's like the golden knights but not quite um 23 points you have in 37 games which isn't great just got his yeah he's gonna make his nhl debut i think he did or last night was uh, that last one night? of the last couple nights yeah yeah so good for him um not tearing up the eight HL, but um, you know Vegas is you know up against the cap, and so there might be time and, and injured. So There's they a lot might of injuries on that team. They so. might need some some cheap contracts at least in the short term. Uh, Will Lockwood, here's a name for you, man. I forgot he was still around. Um, you know he was what like a late round, a third round pick maybe uh, by Vancouver. Yep. Never quite stuck. Long time ago, bounced around. I, he played against the Avs. I was watching a game and someone said Lockwood, and I was like Lockwood. That could be Will Lockwood, and it was. Yes, he's with I the Panthers the too. Panthers, okay. Yeah, he was with the Canucks for a long while, uh, bouncing between Vancouver and Abbotsford, and then he got traded to the Rangers in that Vitaly Kravtsov deal, and so then he was with the Hartford Wolfpack. 
and then I believe he signed with the Panthers on a two-way deal in the offseason, and so he's gotten to bounce up and down between Charlotte and Florida. He's played 20-some games for the Panthers and, you know, like one point. <laughs> yeah. Which just means you're not really playing much while you're there. But Yeah, you probably isn't playing a ton of minutes either. Uh, Thomas Bortolo has 14 points in 22 AHL games. Uh, he's played in a few games with the Sharks. He had a great year last year. Right? He like was an he, AHL All-Star yeah, last year. Always was, like, they had him in for like the skills competition, and like he had a number of like shootout goals where he'd put on a show. And He was always a fun player. Um, you you kind of wonder what his upside is. I'm sure he'll get a shot in San Jose, uh, but he's probably not. He, he could be like a third liner. Yeah, I think. second, third line, depending. Maybe a power play guy. Yeah, I mean, he, he and he's from a long hockey family, and so... He knows the game real well and is just waiting his turn. Until um, they decide they actually want to try to do something. <laughs> I, it's I, better for him to not be on that team I would think than, so. than to be exposed to what's going on with them. <laughs> Nick Blankenberg, uh, still with Columbus or somehow connected to Columbus. In um, Cleveland. Cleveland, I guess. He's played a little bit this year, played more the last couple of years. He's probably just a tweener. Yeah, but... We'll probably have um, a future at at least getting paid to play hockey at some level. Um, Which is pretty good when you consider his story. And, right, because he didn't get here until he was 20, right? Yep. And, and he was out in the AJHL. And he's and, tiny. Yep. So. so he's somehow still collecting hockey paychecks, which is good for him. 11 points in 18 games. Um, yeah. Uh, then you had Marodi, Cooper Marodi and Joe Sacconi. Man, Joe Sacconi. Those are some names. Uh they're basically just AHL guys. Career AHLers, nothing wrong with that. Strauss man, not having the best year in the AHL. No, he's back from Sweden and um, has been struggling uh, at like 880 save percentage uh, with the Laval Rocket. And this is, I want to talk about this for a second. This is, I kind of waited for this part, but um, Eric Portillo, uh, obviously no, we know he had a, had a rough go last year. Um wouldn't even be shocked if, like, you know, there's all that virus stuff that happened in the first sure. half of the season. If some of that maybe lingered with him or at least in some form or fashion had some effects on it because he just didn't look the way he did before. And, you know, his first year and a half or two years at Michigan, he was very, very good. And everyone was very excited to see him, you know, begin to take over more time in the net um, as, as much as everybody likes Strauss Mann. And then, you know, his third he, – he, awesome his sophomore year his third year falls off a little bit with some of those circumstances and then this year is in the AHL and is at a 9-2-1 and we're over halfway through the year so he's playing at a higher level even better and um you know I don't know it's an interesting story with him because you know he came over late from Sweden and was has been not in the NHL now for a while but has generally succeeded at every level he's been at even though he's maybe a little bit older um and at some point, you know, I mean, the Kings are going to need a goalie, probably. So, you know, I would it would be interesting to see when they give him a shot, especially if he's playing at this. I think if he finishes the season really strong, then he'll have a shot to be a call up next year at some point. Maybe um, then in the in camp to be a backup or something. Potentially, like that. but I, they they probably want him playing. Like he's either he's going to start where. Yeah, I think he would. I think he would go into next year saying he's our third goalie on our depth chart, so he'll start in the AHL. And right. If one of our two get hurt, then he'd be a call up. That would right. be my guess. So because you probably wouldn't want him sitting for. Yeah. Th- you know, but he's a legit prospect. And Michigan hasn't had a, a lot of goalies in the NHL. 
They had Turco. And they had Turco, and is that it? Basically. I mean, Hunwick played one game. Jack LaFontaine? <laughs> He's in the... There was the list of more guys in the AHL. LaFontaine is on there. He's with Coachella. Uh, Stephen Camphor is in Tucson. Camphor's still playing? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, he won a cup in Boston. Did he win a cup in Boston? He did. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Brendan Warren is with Rochester. <laughs> so he played against Samo. He might have in played that. in that game. I'm yeah. not sure if he did. And then the ECHL list is... It's there's probably some just names. Like... <laughs> Jack Becker, Jacob Hayhurst, Jay Karen oh, Jimmy Lambert, uh, Griffin Luce, Luke Morgan, Dakota Raby, Garrett Van Wy. So it's basically all those like... And then the ones that really Mel got players. me on this site were Luke Martin is in the Liga in Finland, apparently. <laughs> uh, the Pastajovs are in the Austrian League. Together? Yeah. Well, well at least they have each other. <laughs> and I mean, that's, you know. The one I was like, what? Is that, is that where Matthews played? Or he played in the Swiss League? He played in the Swiss okay. League. Swiss League's a good league. Okay. Austrian League, I don't know anything about it. Um, but the one that got me surprised was Nolan Moyle's in the KHL now. <laughs> good for Nolan Moyle. <laughs> I, I saw miss, that and uh... I was like, him? <laughs> like, what? Is this the exploding warthog? <laughs> Mind blown thing. Well, good for him. Uh, always, I mean, he was a guy that stuck around for a long time and came back and was never like a great player, but was captain. He was, yes. Yeah, and he was alternate captain and then captain. So he's playing for Kunlun Red Star, which is actually the Chinese team in the red, in the <laughs> KHL. <laughs> There's one team in Belarus and one team in China, and he's on that one. Ten points in 46 games. Well, that sounds about right, but um, he's collecting hockey checks, I guess. Uh, that's a lot of professional hockey players. It's pretty cool. I mean, the NHL uh, one, we, the list was long, but then we just went through a bunch of AHL and then subsidiaries to other leagues and everything. Um, Michigan is producing professional hockey players. A lot of them. Apparently all over the world, too. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, you go on the hockey reference list, you see all the names from all the years. It's a lot of guys, but a lot of them that are recent. Um, so that's uh, that's pretty neat. And Cogliano, Jack Johnson are the two guys with the most games played of any Michigan alumni, and they're still active. And you look down the list, and yeah, they, uh, they've produced a lot of good ones. My final note on this front, uh, there's been some discussion about this, but it is time for the Hockey Hall of Fame to put Red Berenson in as a builder. That that needs to happen while he's still alive. Like, it's between... Should it? I mean, could it? Sure. Okay. The builder category, and this is my point, like, this is... The builder category is not the player category. Like, okay. There's no standards for this. They... <laughs> Some of the people in there, you don't even know why they're there. I mean, if... He deserves to be in. He played almost a 1,000 NHL games. He was one of the first big stars from the expansion teams after 67 of course, holds the record for six goals in a game, um, and then was a, a really groundbreaking coach. I mean, if Jerry York can be in there from BC, Red should be in there. You know, Red had, you know, very similar results as a head coach in college, and Jerry York was not a very good NHL player, also. So, Red deserves to be in. I would agree.
Madison and Michigan Hockey Cast 6.11 for Alex Drain and David Nasternak. Next week, we will be back with more detailed game recaps. Thank you.